Hello and welcome to the SMP Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Cardenas, and this is our very first episode. Today, we'll be getting a different perspective on the season of Lent through the lens of Father Jose Antonio Rubio. And we will also be talking about the sexual abuse scandal. We have a great show for you today, so stay tuned. Is it playing rolling? Wait, let me just try it like this. Wait, just read what's there. Thanks for listening. Okay, thank you. Okay, well, uh, I, uh, I'm Father Robert. And I... What? There's so many days. Okay. He's going to edit all this out. Is that right? Um. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. Coming to you from St. Mary Parish in Gilroy, California, it's the SMP Podcast, your weekly dose of Catholic news, trivia, reflections, and more. Now, here's your host, Ashley Cardenas. We're hoping that everyone in our parish community and beyond enjoy listening to this podcast. It's put together by a group of teens and young adults, including me, Ashley. Here's a little bit about me. I'm a business major at CSU Monterey Bay, commuting there around two days a week. I grew up and got my sacraments at St. Mary in Gilroy. In 2016, I got more involved at church during my confirmation process. Now I'm a leader for the middle school youth ministry, and I'm helping to kickstart this podcast. Lent is coming up soon. We know it starts with Ash Wednesday, and it's the 40 days before Easter when a lot of people give stuff up. But let's take a deeper look at it. We're going to be talking to Father Jose, and we're going to be asking him, why do we give things up for Lent? Then in our second segment, we will be talking about the sexual abuse scandal. We now know that a lot of abuse has been covered up by the church, and there's a lot of information coming forward. We'll ask Father Jose what he thinks should be done now that we're hearing more and more details about all this abuse. Thanks for joining us today, Father Jose. I've always seen Lent as a time for giving up a bad habit, like eating too much sugar. But what does Lent really mean? Can you explain how and why we give things up for Lent? So this is the way it works. Lent is actually our time of fasting. And technically, fasting only obligates people from 18 to 59. And so those are the people that are supposed to be fasting. But then what do people like you, you're how old? Well, I'm 18. So. Oh, you are 18. Oh, I <laughs> yeah. looked a lot younger. Okay, well, anyway. So what do people who are under 18 are supposed to do? So people, young kids, little children, were always asked to give things up. In particular, they were asked to give up candy, was the thing when I was little. And what happens is that actually a lot of kids um, learn about giving up stuff in Lent, and then when they get to be old, they still remember the stuff they were told as little kids, so they don't know about the fasting part. But because only adults are, were obligated to fast, children were asked to give something up, to voluntarily give something up. And usually, usually kids were told to give up candy. But, um, I mean, today, what should kids give up? So I would say... Maybe the cell phone. Social media. Um, and the social media, yeah, exactly. Because the idea behind giving something up is giving something up that you really like. And so, yeah, giving up the, the social media, giving up your use of all these little apps and things for Lent. To me, that would seem like a more appropriate thing than candy, because probably, you know, you don't eat that much candy anyway. It, it wrecks your face. And how long of a period of time are you supposed to give something up for Lent? Well, Lent lasts 40 days, 
But Sundays don't count, because okay. if you count all the days from Ash Wednesday to Easter, you get, I don't know, 48 or something days like that. But really, um, Sundays don't count, so it's just Monday through Saturday. And um, you know, you do what you can. And how does the fasting work? Oh, so every religion fasts. Fasting is something that's part of every religion. Uh, Hindus fast. Buddhist fast, Muslims fast, Jews fast, Mormons fast, Catholics fast. It's just part of of what religions do. Mm-hmm. And it's different for different religions as to what you f- do when you fast. But basically, fasting is not eating. And so, for example, for Muslims during Ramadan, they fast for a month. During Ramadan, they don't eat anything from sunup to sundown. Nothing. Nothing through their mouths. The whole time. The whole time from sunup to sundown. And then usually Muslims would get up like maybe at four in the morning to have breakfast and have dinner at nine or ten when it's dark. But during daylight, they wouldn't have they wouldn't eat anything, not let anything go through their mouths. Uh, when Jews fast, it's uh, 24 hours. For 24 hours, they don't eat anything. Um, Jains, you know, they fast all the time. I met this couple that for 35 years, they had eaten every other day. Oh, wow. One day they ate, and the next day they didn't. So for us Catholics, it's basically uh, one full meal a day on the day that you fast that you can divide up into little meals as long as all of them put together don't add up to one full meal. And for us, there are only two days of fasting, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. They're the only two days. So like when Muslims fast, they fast for a whole month. But for us, it's just two days, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. And then there's abstinence. Abstinence is when you don't eat meat, and those are the Fridays of Lent. So the five Fridays of Lent, you don't eat any meat. You can eat you know, fish, seafood, but nothing that crawls on the ground during that day. And that um, obliges everybody, because everybody can avoid eating meat. So fasting uh, is only for people from 18 to 59 under the assumption that if you're under 18, you know, you need nourishment. And if you're older, if you're over 60, you also need nourishment. But people 18 to 59, you know, they can go without uh, a full meal, without eating everything they normally eat for one day. But then um, the abstinence, not eating meat, that's for really everybody, because, you know, you can be a, a, a little kid and it doesn't harm you if you don't eat meat, or you can be in your 70s and it doesn't harm you if you don't eat meat. So Fridays of Lent, no meat, and Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, one meal. Okay. And how was Lent for you as a child? So my family's from Mexico. Okay. And um, we had all these special foods. So on the Fridays of Lent that we didn't have, um, that we couldn't eat meat, uh, my mother would make what would be today... I guess we would call them shrimp cakes. Oh, wow. You know, um, they were called tortitas de camarón. They're little shrimp cakes that my mother would make with shrimp. And we would have those in Lent. We would also have this dessert. It's called capirotada. 
Oh. <laughs> you know it? Yeah, pudding? Yeah, it's a pudding. It's bread, bread pudding. pudding. Oh. If you translate it literally, capirotada means menagerie because it's a mixture of stuff. You know, it has uh, walnuts, it has peanuts, it has uh, raisins, it has bread, it has honey or syrup and cheese and all these stuff, all that stuff. And so we had those for so my experience growing up was having these really wonderful foods i still miss i still miss <laughs> the tortitas de camarón the mm -hmm. um shrimp cakes and i still miss the uh capirotada <laughs> and that was my experience growing up as lent and, and led as a kid and what did it mean to you as a kid during that time oh as a little kid i don't think it meant anything other than we were having this special food <laughs> Okay. And it was only as an adult that I figured out what it was. And what do you think are some, or do adults, do they give up things during Lent? Well, for adults, you're supposed to be fasting and abstaining. So, you know, uh, adults are supposed to be not eating on Ash Wednesday and not eating on Good Friday and are supposed to be in a, uh, abstaining by not eating uh, meat. And so, but p adults who, you know, only went to... Uh, like only went to catechism as a kid, uh, still have the idea that they're to give up. And those who want to give up, I still think it's it's the cell phone, it's the social media, it's not being, it's not texting, uh, that that would be what you would want to do today. You need to update these things and make them modern. There's some good things that come from social media, but it's just limiting your time on it because that's also a big thing that cuts a lot of time in people's day. So, yeah. But um, what is the history of Lent? So um, there are two parts to the history of Lent. First, it was a time of preparation for baptism. So probably for the first 600 years of Christianity, people were only baptized once a year. You know, like here we have baptisms every, every weekend. Yeah. But um, it used to be that all the baptisms were done at Easter, and Lent was first preparation for baptism. So those people... Um, who were being prepared for baptism, they were prepared for 40 days. Uh, and that comes from Jesus' fast, and that's why the fasting of Lent. After Jesus was baptized, he went into the desert and was, fa and was fasting for 40 days. And that's where the fasting part comes, because Jesus fasted for 40 days, and then it's preparation for baptism. So it was principally in the early centuries when the people went to get prepared to be baptized. Do you think a lot of people are aware of the background of Lent and what it means? I think for most people, they, they realize that it's preparing for Easter, uh, that mm -hmm. Easter is such an important day. It's, it's the most—what happened at Easter for us is the most important thing that ever happened anywhere in the cosmos— so if there's such a thing as uh, Klingons and Vulcans and Ferengis and whatever may have <laughs> happened on those planets, Easter is the most important thing that happened anywhere in the universe. And so when we celebrate it every year, um, we prepare for it. You know, people prepare for anything. You're going to have yeah. a wedding, people prepare for it. Uh, you're going to have a birthday party, people prepare for it. Whatever it is that's important, you prepare for. And so Easter is what's most important for Christians. And so as Catholics, we prepare for it for 40 days. And it's not just Catholics that 
uh, celebrate Lent. Episcopalians and Lutherans also have Lent as well. And then what do you think about the Easter Bunny, the thing that they have, like the propaganda they have behind Easter? Do you think it takes away from the message of Lent or what do you think about that? So it depends. It depends how you use it. Um, part of the of, of, of Easter, you know, we have the Easter egg and the Easter egg, as the story goes, comes from uh, St. Mary Magdalene. So Mary Magdalene was maybe a woman apostle, certainly a woman follower of Jesus, and she was the first person that Jesus appeared to after he rose from the dead at Easter time. And the story goes that because she was uh, the first person to see it, people asked her to explain how Easter happened and how Jesus could rise from the dead. And she supposedly took an egg and held it up and said, you know, when a chicken is born, it breaks the eggshell and comes out. And that's the same way that Jesus broke the bonds of death and rose. And so in icons, you can always tell who Mary Magdalene is, because she's either carrying a jar of ointment or she's holding an egg in her hand, and the egg then is the symbol of Jesus rising. So people paint Easter eggs and people look for Easter eggs, but they don't know that story behind it. And so I think it's important for people to know the story, and if they know the story, then it makes more sense. And what do you think is a good way like, to make this information known, like the history of Lent and the history of the egg? Because I, I had no idea about that background. So what do you think would be a good way to spread the knowledge? Well, I think uh, maybe a podcast <laughs> would be a good way to do it. And otherwise, for people to just tell it to other people in, in different church groups and, and church meetings. So sometimes, you know, people say, well, Easter eggs, they're really just pagan. We shouldn't have any. Oh, yeah. But but there is a, a religious symbol to it and a religious reason behind it. And so if in you know, youth groups or things like that, different group meetings, people talked about it. And that's why in every culture, you know, like in Russia, the Easter eggs are really beautifully painted and we have the Fabergé eggs and we have all of this because it, it goes back to the to the symbol of the resurrection and the story of Mary Magdalene. And then how are you preparing for Lent or how would you recommend others to prepare for Lent? Oh, so what do I do? So I add uh, an extra prayer time. So usually I pray in the morning when I wake up, and then uh, I pray at night before going to bed. But then during Lent, I add another extra time when I pray, and that's what I do during Lent. Um, I think the best thing to do is to read the Bible. I would read uh, a gospel maybe during Lent, um, and I, I learned this from our Muslim brothers and sisters. During Ramadan, they read the whole of the Quran. They divide it up in 30 days, and they read the whole of it. And uh, the Quran is um, actually slightly, slightly longer than the New Testament. So they're almost about the same size. So we, we could divide it up and read it, or just read a gospel. 
Okay. Well, this was really helpful. I think now for my Lent, I now understand more. Like it's not just giving something up. It's about, well, now that I'm 18, so I have to fast. And um, I'd also like to pray more because that would be really helpful in my connection with God. And I just want to thank you so much. And do you have any other things you want to let people know about Lent or... About land? No, I think that's uh, all I I need to say about land. It's one of my favorite seasons. I like all the, the Lenten songs. I like the Lenten readings. And I like the idea that we're going to Easter. I mean, I just like everything about land. So you may be wondering why we put this podcast together. Sometimes we have questions about the church based on what we hear on the news or from family and friends. It's difficult to find the right answers. The youth and young adults at St. Mary's started this podcast to help the Catholic community get their answers. Also, the youth and young adults love when they get the chance to connect with the priests at St. Mary, so this is a great opportunity to sit and chat with them. We want our podcast to have authentic questions from all of our listeners, so contact us and let us know what your questions are. You can go to smpgilroy.org slash podcast to send us feedback or send us an email at smppodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at St. Mary Parish Gilroy or on Instagram at SMP Youth. Now we'll be moving on to a hot topic that's been circulating in the news. Late in 2018, we began to hear about a number of priests who were abusing people at their parishes, including people who are young and vulnerable. So what are your thoughts on the scandal, Father Jose? So it's a very difficult and tragic subject to talk about. It's something that's going on all over the place, we find now. We find that it's uh, doctors, it's coaches, it's teachers. It's happening everywhere. But it's particularly sad and tragic when a priest is accused in part because, I mean, we're supposed to be holy. I mean, you don't expect a football coach to be holy, but you do expect a priest to be holy. So that's what makes it tragic. The other is the cover-up. You know, in Pennsylvania, when the state attorney general did this investigation, they found that it had been going on like for 70 years and that there was this big cover-up, this attempt to hide it. The attempt happened in other places as well, but that the church should try to hide it, and that the church should try to deny it, and that priests should be involved who are supposed to be holy. That's what made it so terrible. And then, you know, Jesus says that if anyone scandalizes a young child, You should take a millstone and tie it around their neck and throw them into the ocean. And uh, nothing of the kind was done. The priests were just moved from one place to another, and many times it it continued for years. um, What do you think should be done? So, several things. First, I think we always need to tell the truth. I really think that the real tragedy and the real scandal was that this had been hidden. You know, it had been hidden in some places for 70 years. People were trying to cover it up. It's the cover-up. It's always the cover-up that's bad. I think if way back when 
the first time that a priest was accused, someone would say, you know, Father so-and-so was accused of this, and we are removing him from the priesthood. If, if they had just admitted it, I think we wouldn't have had this huge, huge scandal. But what happened was that there was a cover-up. Everyone was denying it. The priest was denying it. I didn't do it. The church, the diocese was denying it. He didn't do it. And sometimes even the victims were. They didn't want their names to come out. They didn't want people to know that they had been abused. So everybody was denying it. And so I think we've got to be truthful. Jesus, when he comes before Pilate, he says, For this reason was I born, for this did I come to the world, to bear witness to the truth. And we always have to tell the truth. We can't um, hide it or cover it. We heal when we talk. When something's inside of us, if we talk about it, we get better. And I think there are three issues we need to talk about. The first, I think we need to talk about celibacy. I don't think that priests abuse children because they're not married. I don't think that at all. As a matter of fact, most of the people who abuse children are married men who are married. So celibacy isn't going to solve the issue. But I do think if there aren't acceptable ways to express affection and to express physical affection, people will turn to unacceptable ways. So I think we need a conversation about uh, sexuality uh, and about celibacy. The other conversation we need is about homosexuality in the priesthood. Again, I don't for one instant want to say that because priests may be homosexual that they will abuse children, because the reality is that the majority of people who abuse minors are actually heterosexual married men. So that's uh, not a reason for abusing children. But again, I do think that when there aren't uh, acceptable ways of expressing physical affection, that then those desires and needs get expressed in, um, in disordered ways. And then finally, I think we need to talk about the role of women in the church. We need to talk about it openly and what should be the role of women in the church. Um, even should there be women priests, I think these would be conversations that need to be out in the open. See, I think the real problem is not telling the truth and hiding things. I think we simply need to get the truth out and talk about it. And that's what I think would is what we should do. Talk about it and get the truth out. Going off of what you were saying about the woman, um, I as a woman, I think it's a little alarming because we could think, oh, that, um, that this priest now, like we're going to have prejudgments because of the scandal that's been going on. What's a proper way for us as people to react to the scandal that's been out on the news? So first, if anything similar has ever happened to you or to anybody that you know, you need to speak out. 
and you need to call the police right away. Anybody who's being abused sexually by anybody, whether it's a priest, a family member, uh, a coach, a doctor, anybody, you need to say something. You need to call the police. That's the the very first thing that people need to know. And then um, I think... Uh, in many ways, uh, for many years, priests have been put on a pedestal, and people have thought, you know, they're, you know, they're really holy in all of this, and realize that uh, everybody has their faults and nobody is perfect, and uh, some of the imperfections we need to be tolerant of, and then others like sexual abuse we can't be tolerant of. And those we need to, to denounce. So if it ever happens, we need to say something. I think that's... And then you need to assume, you know, when you look at the percentage of, of priests, doctors, coaches, teachers, uh, family members that abuse, you know, it's a very small percentage. So you need to assume that the majority are not going to be doing this. You need to look at the the statistics and and see you know not everybody does this and at the same time that there are priests who do these terrible things there are many very holy priests who really are holy and who are very dedicated to what they're doing do you have any final words that you want to leave with our audience about the scandal um only that we need to tell the truth because when we try to cover something up the truth will out and it's always worse. It's this, with the little kid who lies to his mother or her mother or her father. Uh, when they find out, it's always worse. So you're always better off. As difficult as it may be, you're always better off telling the truth. Very well put. Thank you. Now we're going to be transitioning into this segment that we call Priest Pick. Priest this is a quick segment where this priest we're interviewing gets to tell us something he's passionate about for about two minutes. So hit it. What am I passionate about? Well, I'm passionate about many things. I'm passionate about the church's liturgy. I'm passionate about churches getting together, about churches coming together. And what's been the most on my mind lately, I'm passionate about the death penalty and about trying to abolish it. I think... Uh, Part of our church pro-life ethic includes the death penalty, and I really feel it should be abolished. It should be abolished, first of all, because it's an extreme punishment. I mean, you know, when you're executed, that's it. There's no possibility of rehabilitation, and that's the end. It's uh, It should be abolished because... Um, it's really vindictive. It, it, it doesn't accomplish anything. If the person is in jail for the rest of their lives, they're not going to commit that crime again. So why do you need to execute them? Because if they're in jail, they're still not going to commit the crime. Um, and then now that we have DNA testing, we found out that so many innocent people have been executed in the past. And... That makes us wonder, well, today, are, there, are we still executing people who are innocent? Now that we found out we've done it in the past, we could still be uh, doing it today. And then it's unfairly applied. 
it's unfairly applied to African Americans, to Latinos, and to poor people. And because of this, I feel that in our society today, the death penalty should be abolished. And it's not something that I feel about only. Also, the Pope Francis. Pope Francis has said that today we should abolish the death penalty, and it should no longer be used. And so that's what I'm currently passionate about. Well, thank you for sharing what you're passionate about. Welcome. <laughs> Our final segment of the show includes a quiz for Father Jose. We're going to ask Father Jose to list as many things as he can related to the topic we give him. We have not given him the topic in advance, so this will be quite a challenge for him. And the timer will start right after I tell you what the topic is. So name as many saints as you can in one minute. Ready? Go. Saints. Well, there's Jose, there's Anthony, there's Fran Francesca, there is uh, Carlos, there is, I don't think there's a Saint Ashley, but there's John, there's Mary, there's Mary Magdalene, there's Martha, there is Louis, there is Louise, there is Dominic, there is, um, oh, I'm starting to, there is James, there is Claire, there is... Um, Oh, there are thousands of them. There are 8,000 of them. Uh, there is Gumercindo. There's Telesforo. There is Hermenegildo. Uh, some of the otter names that I can remember. There is Anselm. There is Oscar. Um, there is Michael. There is Rose. There is Deborah. There is... Um, Three... Two, one. Oh, I didn't do as many as I thought. <laughs> you did really good, but I'm sad. There's no Saint Ashley. You got 22 saints. That's pretty good, pretty good. Well, <laughs> I guess it's okay for not having the question ahead of time. But you know, there are eight th some 8,000 saints. Are you planning on memorizing all of them? No, no. <laughs> be all for our show and i really want to thank father jose for his time and i really appreciate when he was talking about women in the church and their role and any other things you want to leave with our audience anything i want to leave with the audience as we begin lent um be careful with your use of cell phones of social media and uh and apps i would say that and always tell the truth thank you so much you're welcome Thanks for listening to the SMP podcast. Check back soon for new episodes and contact us to let us know what you want to hear. You can send us your feedback by going to smpgilroy.org slash podcast or by sending us an email at smppodcast at gmail.com. If you want to stay connected to life at St. Mary Parish, follow us on Facebook at St. Mary Parish Gilroy. We also have an Instagram at SMP Youth. Signing off from the garlic capital of the world. There's no vampires here. I'm your host, Ashley Cardenas, and I'll see you next week. Hello, this is Father Robert, and I approve this message.